Welcome to the Crow's Nest, the place of the best view on the wind farm service vessel market. My name is Sue Allen. I'm an analyst at 4C Offshore, and this podcast is about the vessels used to support offshore wind logistics. That is crew transfer vessels, service operations vessels, accommodation ships and helicopters. I'm going to be talking to industry experts about subjects close to their hearts, including new design concepts and technology and other changes affecting offshore wind support. Welcome to the Crow's Nest, we'll see this podcast about what's happening in offshore wind, especially on the service vessels, which includes the CTVs and the SOVs. And I'm joined today by Mike Campine from um, Turner Iceni. And we're going to talk about what uh, Mike does at Turner Iceni. But if you're not familiar with the company, they provide integrated solutions, I think it's a technical term for offshore wind, and that is supplying technicians and crew and vessels, get them out there to support maintenance. And I believe you also work onshore as well, but we're interested in the offshore part at the moment. So anyway, well, welcome along, Mike. And Thank you. It's a real pleasure. So what is your title? Because I wasn't quite sure what to call you. What's your official um, job? Well, rock? essentially, yeah, my bottom line title is I'm a paramedic. And that's a really interesting title itself because that is a protected title in the UK. So to in- enable yourself to be called a paramedic, you have to be on a register. And that is the right. uh, HCPC's register. So it's a protected title. Not anybody can come along and say, oh, I've done a couple of courses. I'm now a paramedic. Right. Um, so it is a protected title these days, similarly as a registered nurse. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I sort of like to assume that, you know, a first aid course wouldn't cut it you'd need a lot more than that <laughs> absolutely yeah it's a it's a huge um, misnomer for many of the uk public actually what we do and you find that many people still think of a paramedic on an ambulance and they'll quite say oh the ambulance driver um yeah. which you know I, I sometimes did that to myself well if I did only just drive, you might be in a much stickier situation than before I got here as to when I am here now. So yes, be grateful I've done significant training. Yeah, because I know year, many years ago, sort of literally that's what ambulance drivers, what they just drove along, picked you up and took you to the hospital. It was a transport system and it's very different. Absolutely situations yeah it's it's really evolved huge but i don't want to digress too much into that too soon because it was kind of spoiled no. <laughs> the crux of the conversation i'm sure so we're going to talk a little bit how you got from being a paramedic obviously on land to being offshore so when did you actually start out as a paramedic is it something you've been doing for many years or it is yes yeah. so it's quite a long journey actually my friend often reminds me that perhaps i'm a bit of a journey man and uh, and often delve back into how this all came about but um, essentially, I graduated university in 1998 mm-hmm. with a degree in marine biology from Liverpool University. Wow. And I happened to go up to um, a lecture given by British Antarctic Survey, okay. uh, and they were doing their recruitment drive. And the biggest thing that really kind of stood out for me was that they weren't actually just looking for marine biologists. They were looking for a candidate that was a marine biologist, a statistician um, that could drive a boat, that could look after the servers while they're in Antarctica. And that kind of made a a resounding um, moment in my life about what I needed to do or be in order to make sure that I was a useful asset to any company in the future. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, uh, that moment was a bit of a can of worms because I've had quite a prolific career path, a journey, as my friend puts it, to to get to becoming a paramedic. So I did a short time in the Marines, six years, felt like a lifetime. Yeah, I'd worked for some... Yeah, I worked for some prestigious banks. Um, after leaving the Marines, I went in to do some remote medicine, remote CP work mm-hmm. and maritime security. 
And obviously in the Marines, I'd already done some sort of first aid training and it was usually battlefield care, along with some time in the RNLI, which given me some real indications that actually there's a lot of things that we are lacking uh, while at sea. And so having done some marine maritime security work and traveling across the Indian Ocean, West Africa, the Persian Gulf, there were many occasions where um, my colleagues were in quite a difficult situation, not so much traumatic. Trauma is actually relatively easy to deal with, although people think it's the hardest, but it can bring you closer to death quicker. Um, but medically are the more challenging ones because sometimes you can appear okay, cope quite well, but then fall off a bit of an edge and deteriorate really, really quickly. So I've been put in a couple of situations. A friend of mine had pneumonia, uh, sepsis, and, and even myself, um, I got back from transit across the Indian Ocean and within six, 12 hours, I'd already been kind of struggling with some abdominal pain and it turned out to be appendicitis. Oh God. Um, and, and within 15, 16 hours of that, I had my appendix out. So had that had happened two days prior, uh, you know, a simple thing for you know most countries to deal with could have been life-threatening at sea. So fabled, yeah. absolutely. So for me, I started to recognise that there was a gap in my uh, practice and that kind of looked at well, what I know on boats from the INLI and being in the Marines as landing craft operator mm-hmm. and also then dealing with more complex medical conditions. So I started to think I need some more significant training. So I actually uh, enrolled as self-funded as an ICD technician, which was right. kind of like a historical role, but you're semi-autonomous in, in that you can treat people, you have a, a number of medications and drugs that you can prescribe or administer to people right. under your own autonomy within the UK. And from there, it just naturally progressed. I did some time on the ambulances, frontline ambulances, working for various companies. And then I recognized that I wanted to progress to a paramedic. Um, however, I already had this goal in my mind that I wanted to teach paramedicine. So nice. while as I as I managed to enroll myself onto uh, a paramedic course, which I did through a company in North Wales, and it was a hazardous, hazardous environment medicine paramedic, uh, so a slightly different flavour. Mm. I also got recruited to be a, a secondary school teacher. Okay. So I'm, <laughs> I, I'm and 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 this comes back to that initial lecture and recruitment process I had with British Antarctic Survey, mm-hmm. and I recognised that actually I you know I wanted to fulfil different roles, and and actually I never wanted to just kind of dabble into something. I wanted to become a specialist in that role. I right, wanted okay. to understand it fully, and so just being a, an adult educator wouldn't cut it for me. I I kind of figured if I wanted to be a teacher, uh, a secondary school teacher would be the way forward. So. I embarked on that and kind of simultaneously qualified as a paramedic and a qualified teacher in secondary schools in science and geography, which was really, really challenging. I can imagine both are not easy careers. No, they're not. But actually, there's a lot of overlap. So mm-hmm. thankfully, having my degree in science allowed me to teach science. And um, with the marine biological side, there was a huge overlap for geography too. Yeah, I was able to teach both subjects. But teaching children brings a lot of qualities that I had learned from being in the Marines, working for high-end banks, yeah. and also within the RLI. And then that transfers really, really well into the healthcare industry. So having worked both defence, education, and health, there's a lot of uh, transferable skills within all of them. And Absolutely, there's... yeah. So yeah, that's actually probably the most varied background I've ever heard, to be honest. It is, yeah. So... And absolutely, that, that was my focus 
was that I wouldn't just do something half-heartedly. It would mm-hmm. be to a, a good standard. So obviously joining the Royal Marines, it's not an easy task. No, just like everyone. being selected alone is really, really challenging and difficult. Yeah. Um, and then getting through training itself, which is 32 weeks long. And at any point you can fail something, get pushed back. Equally yeah. with teaching, I think it's far harder than being the Marine, actually, uh, teaching. Yeah. Um, and I think I'd rather go and join the Marines and teach. <laughs> Uh, and she did a very good job of it. Anybody that says teaching is easy, uh, you know, I'd like to see them try and no. breathe without a takia. It's, it's not. It's... And how did you go and get from that kind of background um, into the offshore industry? When did you become aware of maybe the opportunities would be there for you? Because from what you said about your background, I can't think of a more perfect candidate. So I was always aware of the offshore industry, being an ICD technician, plus working in the maritime security world. Uh, we yeah. protect a lot of vessels, oil and gas industry. And having a military background, they quite often look for uh, military personnel that have got medical training from the military. And they quite often run in the, the offshore industry quite well. But obviously, they're very different from a paramedic. And there's a whole remit on that altogether. But um, I was always aware of potentially working offshore. Uh, and so I always kind of had my eye on it. But I, right. I'd spoken to many, many friends that were and are offshore medics mm-hmm. uh, that have done, they've been medics in the military, whether it be Army, Navy, Air Force. And then they've kind of done a top up course to be able to work offshore yeah uh, which is usually a three three to five week course and they can work successfully really really well but I always thought to myself if I was offshore so in a remote location just like I had been on the ships or on the drill ship would I be happy in myself just with a, an additional course and I, I didn't feel comfortable personally right. I thought okay. actually I want greater clinical training and understanding um, so I could provide better assessment and feel comfortable that I could deal with any scenario putting front yeah. Me, yeah. which the paramedic route did for me yes because you don't know what you're going to face there's no guarantees are there um, absolutely not and and usually what happens is most medics or first aiders the first thing they'll look to and are aware of is that a paramedic whether you're um you know have a great understanding of what we do as a role people naturally will kind of gravitate to oh let's get a paramedic that's that's what we know and that's yeah. what we're used to in this country so yeah i'm very lucky that it's a protected title and i've managed to obtain that equally with years of experience so from about 2014 mm-hmm. i was qualified as a technician and then two years ago i upgraded to um, a paramedic so i've been right. practicing paramedics and just on two years now oh, gosh but it's a lifetime of learning behind that so when did yeah. you start working for um turner icini so i had spoken to a friend i was looking for something a little bit different to work on the ambulances and and i knew i always loved being at sea hence why i joined the marines yeah. and i kind of needed to get my my wet again and um, he happened to put me in touch with a few contacts so I was quite late in the season throughout the year for joining Turner Icini and I made contact with Mike and it just so happened that he was uh, needing a paramedic to, to work offshore and Mike had kind of alluded to the fact that the role was quite different to many other roles not just from the fact that it was working offshore but more so in the event that you would embed as a crew member yeah. now for me that was that was really exciting I'd done my time in the Island Ally I was a landing craft operator in the Marine so I'm really familiar with the maritime environment and mm-hmm. skills so that for me worked on a small craft was kind of like my ideal job yeah it sounds perfect and I was just thinking with your marine biology background I know it's not quite the same but obviously the <laughs> wildlife offshore as well so yeah it does get really tricky sometimes because I'll just lose myself while at sea thinking about the ocean thinking about mm-hmm. the animals and and the marine mammals that are out there so I know there's a lot of marine mammal observers in the oil and gas industry yes. with uh, renewables 
I'm very aware of that. And I, I have actually done the passive acoustic monitoring course and marine oh, okay. mammal observer course anyway. It, I'd be kind of foolish not to being a marine biologist. So, And I live close to the coast, so it was really intriguing for me. So I was kind of very aware of it. And I do, I, yeah, it's quite often, it's wonderful to see some of the um, migratory paths and many different animals. So for me, it's just a dream job. Being at the yeah, as I say, it's got every animal medicine. you could have possibly want. Absolutely. Before we started talking, I was thinking, oh, that's quite a transition to moving to doing work onshore to going offshore. But from your background, actually, it's the most natural move ever. Yeah, me personally, it was. And I'm really aware of some of my colleagues. They're both paramedics and or nurses, and they've mm-hmm. only ever worked land-based. I think the beauty of having a paramedic and or nurse is that our foundation of training is paramount and, and mm-hmm. you can't you can't escape that at all you know we, we really understand that kind of metropolitan based paramedicine and nursing qualities and skills for you know rapid assessment and triage for yeah. recognition of many you know medical emergencies and dealing with traumatic emergencies and that's one of the benefits of being a paramedic but then just kept applying that offshore the offshore world does bring so many different challenges one is just yeah, obviously within UK, we work on the guideline that you will be within or at definitive gold standard care within the hour. Yeah. So, and you will get a, an ambulance hopefully within eight minutes if you've got a life threatening emergency. Of course, that is controversial at the moment and yeah, will change and always applicable, but that's the, the aim. That's the gold standard that we hope for. So, then if you're working on a, a platform or some kind of in infrastructure that's 20, 26, 25 miles offshore, you're then looking at a transit time of minimum an hour to an hour and a half, perhaps, yes, or, or longer. So, Having a nurse or paramedic in that environment is absolutely paramount and essential because we can prevent and stabilise that patient from getting worse. But also from a traumatic point of view, more so with um, a medical condition, we can recognise, assess and stabilise before we can transfer that patient either to land via the, the vessel itself or request helicopter support if needed. Yeah, I was going to say, because you've got those that skills and experience and knowledge, you know that, yeah, you do need to get the, the helicopter out. Or no, they're not good, but they can be taken back by boat. And that that's, I'm sure, crucial to care. I mean, I know when you work offshore, you have to undergo medical assessment to make sure you're fit and well. What sort of illnesses and things are the most common that happen? I know we can't talk about any any particular individuals because, of the, you know, that would be not the right thing to do. But what sort of things would be, not hopefully expect to see, but tend to happen? Yeah, so obviously everybody has their, their training. So for me personally, I have to go through STCW95. Yeah. Um, I have to have my ENT1 just like everybody else. And also working on the renewables for wind farm, I have to do my GWO training. Right. Yeah. Um, I've also done my Hewitt and Bozier and other things courses for the offshore industry but equally when you look at the health and safety executives website and you look at the statistics of what kind of injuries or illnesses and accidents you see of course most of them are are minor injuries as a result of workplace Mm -hmm. injuries so they're they're the most frequent ones but of course there are many medical injuries that we we cope with so if you were at home in the uk and you started to experience for example chest pain Mm -hmm. chest pain by definition we always worry about acute coronary syndrome so we're worried about a heart attack absolute gold standard is that you will get an ambulance to you Mm -hmm. you will have um, your signs and 
symptoms assessed, you'll have an ECG. So the electrical activity of your heart will be assessed yeah. using a very expensive piece of equipment. And of course, although anybody might not be able to do that, it's whether you can interpret it, that data. And yeah. that's where the nurse or paramedic comes involved. But to rule out that this is not a sinister event, you need to be at a hospital having bloods taken and yeah. then monitored for a further four hours minimum. Okay. So, of course, when you're at sea and you experience these signs and symptoms, and it seems like a classic chest pain that could mm-hmm. be acute coronary syndrome, so a heart attack or new onset of angina, then the only way to determine that is through blood. So they can be done remotely and they can be done in an austere remote environment. But, of course, you need definitive care to make sure if this is a heart attack, are you right. then able to get to what we call a cath lab, so PPCI, peripheral percutaneous primary intervention. So that'll be up to mm-hmm. the hospital and they'll put a stent in one of your arteries yeah. or many of your arteries of your heart to prevent the blockage or to cure the blockage. So of course you can't do that easily offshore, which no. is... Would you be able to really... do any of that offshore or, or is that... So we could do the, the assessment to a really mm-hmm. advanced level. We could also then do the treatment. So we could give you drugs that would allow us to buy time to be able to get you to definitive care right okay because i know having done a little bit we did some first aid training here but a day's course is if you're lucky if we remember what we're supposed to do it yeah, absolutely. So, you know, from a first aid point of view, the, the only thing you could do, initially do is support and hopefully you've got some telemedicine. So mm-hmm. um, somebody further up the tree could guide you to administering some medications. Yeah. But then as a first aider beyond, and that, that would still be questionable. Beyond that, you're hoping that they're stable enough that you can transport them back on land yeah. by whichever means. Yeah. But in the meantime, should they experience from a heart attack mm-hmm. to then cardiac arrest yeah. um, for many first aiders even uh, enhanced first aiders and for many other medics that have been trained the very few of them can administer advanced life-saving drugs and yeah, treatment not. which is as a paramedic that is essentially our bread and butter so yeah. that would be administering life-saving drugs from adrenaline amiodarone make sure the aspirin's there also maintaining the blood pressure by using different uh, mm-hmm. concentrations of adrenaline as well as interventions such as airway interventions yeah uh, and looking at things such as entitled co2 so we can really start to monitor and assess yeah. and provide um defibrillation if required to that patient so they really are getting gold standard offshore yeah. but it's always that problem isn't it when you with those instances occurs obviously paramedic intervention and proper medical care is absolutely critical to person's survival and the, their life expectancy i suppose but the, always the question is that those events fortunately are, are very rare and i think what makes it a little bit different with what Turner and Isenia are doing is you are there not just as that paramedic and you are working as part of the crew. So when you're not involved in an incident, what sort of things would you do as part of your crew work? Um, so it really varies depend with the crew themselves and the vessel you're on. Um, I think for many paramedics and nurses that have gone offshore, particularly within the renewables for wind farms, yeah. um, it can be really eye-opening if they've never been anything but land-based. And then you're on a small 15 to 20 metre vessel, yeah. probably you know, no, no broader than 8 metres to 10 metres. Mm-hmm. in quite, quite a challenging sea at times. Seasickness is incredibly debilitating. It it's can horrible. take an ordinary yeah. person and, and you're non-functional. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think most people that work offshore on small vessels um, learn quite early on if they're susceptible to seasickness and then they make that choice themselves whether this is an appropriate career choice because yes, going to work every day 
feeling mm-hmm. sick is just not manageable and of course that's a concern potentially then for the people that you might be looking after so if, you, if you're able to deal with the seasickness because there, there is a lot of that going on and then of course it's making sure that you assist with either um, any boat checks of course it, I, I usually try and work really closely with the crew because I also need to maintain a certain level of uh, hygiene and cleanliness mm-hmm. so I will try and certainly always help with the rope works and tying up the boat slipping the side berthing alongside and um, right. making sure that the transfer the crew uh, the passengers onto the platforms is safe and i monitor so i help with the wave rotting but obviously i personally i I do tend to try and stand back a little bit from the um the oil grease and diesels because should i need to provide administrative care and medical care to somebody i I can't really be doing that smelling of diesel i think that'd be highly inappropriate so uh, supporting the crew with their movements and vessels Mm -hmm. but any other boat work i try to leave alone yes i could imagine as well no certainly you know part of the transferring the passengers over to the turbine is quite a key part of the role and absolutely sure they get back because there have been times when there have been injuries caused by people transferring or you know back strains or whatever um yeah and i think that was one of the the biggest concerns about the offshore industry particularly the vessels was mm-hmm. getting the infrastructure right that you could safely transfer um your passengers onto the infrastructure which is still a big concern today Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a lot of money and economics going into the development of safely walking to work schemes. Yes. So that you can nervous. get from one platform to another. Yes, it certainly they keeps you busy when you're not having to assist with medical emergencies. So hopefully a lot of your time is doing kind of boat work rather than uh, helping with emergencies. But are you the only paramedic? Or are there many other people filling a role similar to yours? There are, but you know, it's um, it's quite a unique role. So sometimes trying to find different contracts or work for different environments can be really, really mm-hmm. difficult. And um, <clears throat> and of course, I think for certain industries to recognise the benefits of having a paramedic and or nurse. Um, with the skill set we we bring and of course for the the right income um yeah I, I still see many industries particularly within the super yacht industry where they're they're requesting a nurse or paramedic but actually the salary is less than what i earn in the uk and i kind of question again like i say i don't think people fully understand or appreciate the the level and depth of training and skill set no. that a paramedic or nurse would actually bring if you think minimum standards today are that uh, you will conduct three years at university to get a, a degree in paramedicine. Yeah. So that alone in, in university fees is 27000 It's a big minimum. investment. It's a huge investment to make sure that you are fully autonomous clinician that can provide mm-hmm. definitive care. And I think any person from Europe and the UK, Australia and America, and many other countries would agree that that they want access to that kind of level of healthcare provision from a clinician is mm-hmm. immediately available you expect it on land so you kind of don't want to be in a position where you're not getting similar care or access at some point to that because wherever you are yeah. and especially working in a harsh environment such as offshore the sea conditions can change rapidly weather conditions can change um yeah absolutely and i think do- if you you have an analogy is if you have a car crash you'll get a first aider turn immediately hopefully mm-hmm. and sometimes that might be a community first responder or just a bystander that happens to be a first aider but of course on that you'd then expect somebody 
more clinical to turn up and do another assessment and transport you anywhere. Yeah, so certainly. Yeah, Mike, I was going to ask you, um, obviously your experience in handling boats and being in boats, etc. But when you first started working offshore, especially on the crew boats, as you say, they're relatively small, maybe 18 metres, 20 metres, the ones you've been on. Was it as you expected or was it very different? Yeah, I think it was uh, pretty much how I had anticipated being on a small boat, having worked them. But I can still remember what it was like my first days experiencing um, that time at sea on a vessel, whether it be small or large, both crossing, um, you know, VLCC, so very large crude uh, crude carriers, uh, crude oil carriers um, in the Persian Gulf to contain the vessels, but equally simply just doing the transfer from the the port authorities from the outer port limits onto the large boat itself so i remember really well the intrepidation that i had of feeling oh i'm no longer on land i'm now at sea and i'm on a small boat and there's a lot more expected of me and similarly transferring you know more in offshore recently with turner icini that this is a new vessel this is a new crew and i have new people to make sure i can get along with and and thankfully for me uh, you know my main skill set is actually ensuring that I can get on with my crewmates. Uh, it's absolutely paramount. And being in the, the Marines t- and military teach you those fundamental skills yeah. of how to get the best out of people and how to get along with people, particularly in small, close environments, which it very much is in the CTV world. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're looking at 12 passengers aboard many of the vessels. I know we have bigger ones now as well, but it's still quite limited. And not always there are 12 passengers on board. Sometimes there's only eight or, or nine on board. That's right, yeah. And and I think being embedded as part of the crew is is invaluable. <clears throat> I also kind of feel that you know if the uh, the remit is provided, and you can have the paramedic as a, a separate entity. Then equally, I know some people may worry that actually you're paying somebody that is there doing not a lot unless there's a medical emergency yeah. or a traumatic <laughs> emergency, which I I kind of get. Yeah, but it's one of those things, isn't it? It's um, hindsight is a wonderful thing, and if we could only be there on that day that something traumatic is going to or yeah. definitely is going to happen, then that'd be wonderful. But then you kind of question well we won't go to see that day but we can't no predict that and we have to plan for for when it happens so ultimately um a colleague of mine had a wonderful phrase so i can't see i have to i have to say it's not but you know yeah i got to i got to it's a real shame because it is an absolute do's and i love it Uh, you know i'm paid for what i do do i'm paid for what i can do yeah Oh, I, I kind of sit and think, you know, as a, a paramedical, you, you bring a huge skill set. And likewise, if, if you've got a boating background, then even more so. And and quite prominently now, you know, even as a paramedic, although I might not need to administer life-saving medicational interventions or medical interventions for, for somebody at sea, we are seeing lots of migrants coming across the water that are in need of great help now that's not our yeah. primary role but no, as a paramedic i have a duty of care and, and of course you might need to administer life-saving help yeah that is something that's happening i know there are some vessels employed directly by the border force at the moment that are work crew boats uh, to help port and rescue migrants coming over and uh, i can't say enough i think it's an awful situation when you've got people on board boats which are not fit for purpose risking their lives and we have a duty of care. Yeah. You can't just sail past. You, they're, they're human beings that need to be looked after. Absolutely. And even at sea, we follow the rules. Yeah. Uh, you know, safety of lies at sea, so alas. And, and mm. of course, we have a duty of care that way. And every captain of their vessel has to do so as well and follow those kind of 
conventions and laws of seats are the UN class as well. So yes, equally it's help. important that we yeah, we abide by those as much as possible. But you know, the first aid's really, really kind of very lots of intrepidation, lots mm-hmm. of oh, I wonder what it's gonna be like. And of course it's a super early start because yes. the, you might be picking your packs up at six, but you're down at the boat at five, making sure that all the boat check done and that you slip lines and you're good to go in order to and refueling if need be in order to get around to pick up your packs at six and of course then you've already done an hour of your day yeah and you've also got to get to the port and the boat and everything else so it's an early start i always think you know the crew on board the boat are the ones that have the direct contact with your customers and because they're the technicians absolutely got to get to not only out to work safely, but home again, safe and well. And, you know, it's a big responsibility and, you know, life saved is so important. Uh, I was going to ask you, um, sorry, about, do you have, I, I know everyone undergoes a lot of safety training before you even set foot near a boat, never mind on one. Do you have any top tips for anyone who may be facing a potential situation that sometimes gets o- get overlooked? In what sense? Um, for example, if you came across an incident and you, I mean, I, I know offshore we assume everyone's had some sort of first aid training and some health and safety training, but is there anything you would could add to that where maybe that sometimes it gets overlooked, the first thing to do, the first thing not to do? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I, I've done quite a lot of training for first aid as well as delivered quite a few different courses. And also I mentor and coach many um, aspiring clinicians coming through the training process. So I, I always sit and think nothing will always go to plan, no matter how much you plan. So don't expect it to be great. I think realistic about the outcome, and I'm not saying go in there being hopeless, but just be hopeful, but don't beat yourself up about it because you can't always dictate the situation yourself. So be calm. Always make sure you summon and get help. Yes. And do the basics right. Yeah. Do the basics right. Quite often on first aid courses, you'll see people, and all I want them to do is the primary survey. So is there a catastrophic bleed? Has their airway been protected? Is it clear? Is it open? Mm-hmm. Are they breathing? Yes or no. Have they got circulation? Yes or no. But quite often they'll sit there looking at the patient, not quite sure what their next move should be. My top top is if you get stuck at any point, go back to the start and go through it again. And mm-hmm. if that's all you keep doing, you are doing something that could stop them from getting worse. So it's paramount to don't beat yourself up. You can't yeah. be responsible for everything. You're only doing your best and do the basics. Go through primary service. Yeah, everybody would have done some form of first aid training. So mm-hmm. they'll understand basics, the primary survey, the CABC. Yeah. Um, and so just doing that right, being really thorough and methodical. And, and when you sit and think, have we done a top-to-toe to see if any injuries? Have we really done it or have you just paid lip service to it? So we are all human beings at the end of the day. I, see. I think a lot of people worry about doing it wrong or not getting it right and you think well it's better not to get it right than not to do anything absolutely yeah and and that's some of the things we see like say because we are very much uh client facing mm-hmm. on the vessel um and, and for me as a paramedic one of the things i'd quite often do is just do a little morning check-in with the the the, the guys and girls coming on the boat is um how you feeling any concerns because equally as a paramedic i'm we do have a duty care as well about people's mental well-being yeah uh, and so their mental health is hugely driven by mm-hmm. their mental well-being so can i help facilitate that as well so i'm always active if, if i'm on the boat i'm either front facing with the cruiser and and quite often i'll talk to the, the technical rope access guys as well about 
what's your plan of egress? How are you going to get off the boat or off the right. platform if we need to? And so I'll have a little chat with them and see what they're thinking and if they've had any experiences and whether they've kind of had difficulties or where it's gone well or, or not so well. So I'm always kind of finding out and I, I try and pass on those nuggets to right. them as well. Yeah, no, I guess it's that sort of being conscious of what's going on if someone says, do you know what? I just don't feel great today. I mean, there could be all sorts of reasons, like they just had a late night and didn't sleep very well. Or it could be just an indication, early indication that actually they're not just not very well. Minor illness to maybe the early onset of something more serious. We're human beings, we change. We are, yeah. So I, I always I always promote doing the basics well and doing them thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, World Health Organization recognise that um, some of the biggest causes of death globally are acute cardiac syndromes, so cardiac conditions, as a result of lifestyle choices. And, um, and of course, we recognise then beyond that, that there's a huge risk of everybody of having a heart attack or cardiac arrest mm-hmm. is, is great. But what's quite concerning so i think it's absolutely fundamental that paramedics are in the offshore world with renewables is because even land-based it's around about eight percent success rate of or survivability of an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest yeah that's quite scary i mean i remember hearing that and um when we did the first aid training and they said you can just do the compressions but they've got much better i don't know what the figures were rate of survival if you can do the breathing as well Absolutely. So American Heart Association, yeah, they did a lot of research and where the compressions only resuscitation came into play because they recognised it was about every minute to two minutes that you'd lose 1% of oxygen saturations within the blood. So if you weren't prepared to do ventilation via mouth to mouth or mouth to mouth and nose, or you didn't have a device to protect your own mouth and airway because Mm -hmm. of infection, then they'd just avoid it and compression is critical and that's absolutely true we, we would rather you just com- compress the chest as best as you can with quality compressions mm-hmm. doing quality cpr yeah. uh, and omit breathing until somebody else can get there but which is why it's such a simple device a pocket mask um and then that protects you and them particularly in mm-hmm. covid days since respiratory yeah. illnesses are, are major concerns these days but of course mostly for the vulnerable now that we've all been vaccinated yeah i, I must admit we've um after our first aid training here at 4C, we were given little pouches to put on our key ring just in case, which is quite, it was yeah, quite reassuring. Absolutely. I feel quite feel equipped to go out there. But yeah, I think the trouble is you never know. I know a friend who who is in a, a concert, um, she's gone to a gig and somebody had a cardiac arrest in front of her. Unfortunately, she was able to provide support and uh, they did save him so you never know when these things are going to happen yeah absolutely mike it's, it's been really interesting talking to you because i hadn't was not aware and this might have to admit to my ignorance just how much training paramedics have to do and what when i first talked to uh, your team at turner iceni about talking to you about what putting a paramedic offshore but i struck me it's really interesting and you know i thought it was a fantastic idea but obviously having somebody sitting there I know we, we laughed about this earlier, doing nothing, because obviously you're not doing nothing. You're busy not only thinking ahead and planning, but also helping out with the boat. I think it's just been really fascinating hearing more about that. I wasn't aware it was a protected status or a protected title, being a paramedic. As I've learned it is. It's a, a criminal offence to use it. 
yes. <laughs> but that's also very reassuring and good to know as well, because you always wonder if somebody's just very well trained in first aid or actually that paramedic status. And you sometimes assume by titles people know certain things. So that's really good. That's true. Yes. Hopefully we'll see more people with your your qualifications experience. I'm not sure they'll find anyone as unique as you are. <laughs> because I think that's no, a very, very unusual background. And I think if they were trying to work out what the perfect person would be for the role, I think you probably tick most of the boxes on that one. <laughs> I am quite. <laughs> they must have been jumping up and down when you turned up. <laughs> so it, I do. I quite often get that comment that um, with my diverse background, that yes. it's, it's kind of like a, a, a blessing in disguise. But I, I too agree that. Uh, yeah, the initiative that Tenorisini started to set up, having a paramedic on board, I mm-hmm. think is wonderful and early turn for something more viable. Mm-hmm. Because I think if I was an offshore worker in the UK's EEZ, that I'd want to know that I yeah. can get the same level of care while working offshore, although within our EEZ, but the same that care and standard of care that I'd get on land because I'm still within the remits of the UK. So, And I think it would be brilliant disservice and would be unjust not to be able to provide that care and um, it is it's hard you know as a, a paramedic I have to maintain a certain level of standard I have to adhere to my registration yeah. which I have to renew yeah and I have to make sure and demonstrate I have done sufficient CPD so mm-hmm. even when I'm on the boat and there's not much going on I'll either do a little bit of training with the the crews I'll yeah. do training with the packs if they are construction workers or maintenance workers and they, they need some additional advice. Or I'm continually reading or practicing myself to make my skills up to speed. Yeah, it's an ongoing learning task, isn't it, when you're in that kind of profession? But, absolutely, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, hopefully we're going to see more of a similar qualified people as yourselves, especially as now we're putting more and more wind farms offshore, we're getting more and more people offshore, make sure everyone yeah, comes absolutely. home safe and well. I mean, we don't want just put people in one piece, we want them feeling well and able to carry on the rest of their, their day and their time off when they're not working. Okay, well, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us in the, in the crow's nest, so to say, and having that overview of the market. And uh, Thank you for taking the time out. I know you're off you're, um, off duty at the moment. You're not out. I'm sure I have spoken to people on boats before. Oh, you're most welcome. It's been a real pleasure. And hopefully just kind of highlighting the importance and, you know, yeah. removing any myths around what a paramedic actually does. And, and it is. And uh, and hopefully that's just not offshore, but land-based as well. So land-based as well. Yeah, I think you're a great spokesman yeah. for your profession. And just, yeah, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. Wonderful. Okay, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thanks very much, Mike, and we'll speak to you soon. Many thanks for joining me here in the Crow's Nest. If you'd like to find out more about any of the topics discussed or about 4C Offshore, please see the show notes where I've included details and links. If you've enjoyed listening to our show today, please subscribe to our channel and get notifications of new episodes. The Crow's Nest is a 4C Offshore production.